welcome to the Parkview podcast. I'm Paul Hunk, investment analyst at Parkview, and joining me is Osama Himani, CIO of the firm. In this week's episode, we're going to be talking about India, which until very recently was a darling of global allocators, seeking to capitalize on an exciting growth story and the incredible demographics of the region. In the last few years, however, we've seen structural issues arise, which along with a pretty hesitant local consumer mindset, has led to growth stagnating and to fears regarding whether this low growth can sustain the country's rapidly growing population. For this discussion, we'll be going through a few longer-term arguments for the prospects of the economy and highlighting some of the more concerning shorter-term realities that investors are faced with. And with that, I'll get the ball rolling. So a lot has been made about India's GDP growth. There is a good argument that the slowdown is cyclical. You may ask why, but I really think it's been driven by a manufacturing slowdown and a moderation of discretionary consumption in general. Consumers have recently been starved for credit post the banking crisis, and the availability of funds from the non-bank financial companies has dried up. This has affected some of the more discretionary spending sectors directly, things like automobiles in particular, which make up around 7% of GDP. In addition, there's an argument to be made that post the general sales tax of GST implementation in 2017, that the unorganized sector is facing challenges, um, which is impacting their overall GDP growth rate. All in all, long term, the potential is still there and it has demographics on its side and a rising per capita income will eventually drive consumption, which will in turn create a need for uh, the industrial expansion that is so desperately needed by the economy. I think you're right to say that the slowdown is cyclical, um, but the reality, of course, is that structural fact, structural growth in India needs to be significantly higher than the current trajectory. And specifically, even at six or seven percent growth, India is barely generating enough jobs for unemployment to stop rising, and this is happening at a time when labor participation rates are, in fact, declining. So there's a question to be asked whether, you know, have the reforms that were much vaunted by the Modi government back uh, when they were first elected, whether it is the GST, whether it is the demonetization program and all of these measures that were introduced, why haven't they led to a significant structural increase in trend growth in India? And the reality, of course, is that India still has a lot to do. Um, there's still it's, it's still an economy with a lot of efficiencies, and and um, the number of reforms that they you know they can do to improve growth is, is actually quite quite large. Um, unfortunately, now that the elections are behind us, there doesn't seem to be many catalysts for the government or any many, many incentives for them to take things forward. So we had the budget this week. Uh, the finance minister outlined, you know, uh, projected real GDP growth rates between six and six and a half percent, and a fifty basis point increase in the fiscal deficit to around three point five percent. We also saw the introduction of an optional new tax regime, which could provide some tax relief to lower income individuals. It's really just designed to boost domestic consumption. And then, particularly for the rural economy, uh, the direct income transfer scheme saw an increase in allocation and subsidies for the short-term credit to farmers got a boost in the allocation too. So whilst there was no high-profile measure you know, that was announced to target growth, the budget was pretty broad-based. Uh, it was focused on improving the various sectors of the economy and predominantly it supported agriculture, 
small scale businesses and low income groups, all of which you know have a, a positive impact on consumer goods, banking and financial sector. Also, in addition, real estate. I think um, I think you're right. Uh, the market uh, was somehow expecting a bit more from from the Indian government. Uh, they were expecting more stimulative measures. There were some, but but it fell far short of expectations. One has to wonder, of course, if if the expectations were misplaced. At, at the core, India's problems are not so much something that can be addressed by fiscal policy, but rather things that require structural policies and deregulation and improving the health of the banking system. And and none of these are strictly budgetary issues. They could be announced around the time of a budget, but they're really much broader and deeper policies. I think thinking of the budget itself, there were, uh, I think there were some things about it that, that you know, made me pause. Uh, for example, you know, sovereign wealth funds will get a will will get a tax holiday for investing in Indian infrastructure. Um, why is that necessary? Why should foreign governments get a tax holiday when Indian investors won't? Um, it it seemed to me like a like a political decision that was made for whatever reason. But 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 there is no clear economic rationale for it. And and so I see the budget as maybe having a bit too much politics for my taste and and too little um, economic um, rationale. And and you see that, of course, in, in, in other things. For example, there's a very specific support for the manufacturing of electronics, and it's not clear why this particular sector gets a preferential treatment. So just something to keep in mind, a major headwind last year for the Indian economy was a rising oil price, you know, really just because of rising geopolitical conflicts in the oil producing regions, all really culminating with the US-Iran escalation. As a large importer, they're particularly exposed. So what we've seen recently has been a large sell-off in, in the oil price in response to global growth concerns and obviously concerns regarding Chinese demand in light of the coronavirus. And this has meant that any meaningful impact on the current account, inflation, and or the currency that would have been the case with a longer term sustained higher oil price has largely been avoided. Indeed, India has always been exposed to oil market developments for some time because it's a major importer. But more importantly, I have to ask, why is it of course, a sensitive to oil price developments. It's sensitive because India has a current account deficit. And so the question really is, what policies are they undertaking that will improve the, the health of the current account? That's, that's a budgetary issue. Um, and there's a financing issue. I think on the positive side, I would say that in the current budget, it is foreseen that foreign investors will have greater access to the Indian domestic bond market, which I think other things being equal is a net positive in terms of the current account because it enables Indian corporations and the Indian government to borrow from foreigners using rupees rather than foreign currencies and and thereby reduce the long-term stresses on the balance of payment. So the main topic when when discussing India macro lately has definitely been inflation. You know, it's definitely been a concern, but it's important to put it into a little bit of context. Core inflation, which strips out volatile food and oil prices, 
has only risen marginally to around 3.7%. A lower oil price in 2020 so far should also help that headline figure. You know, retail inflation was largely driven by a high vegetable price, in particular onions, uh, which have risen around 400% since, uh, since March. These price gains are explained mostly by some heavy rains, damaged stockpiles in the monsoon areas. And the government has since responded by importing a significant amount, 30,000 tons, in an attempt to bring down the price and, and stabilize the CPI. So despite this, inflation you know, may remain above that level at which the RBI are comfortable, which would still crimp their ability for the organization to cut rates further. I agree with you again here. I think there is a there there is an argument to be made whether India should be targeting headline inflation and hence looking at things that what happens to onion prices or whether India should the Reserve Bank of India should be looking at core inflation excluding more volatile line items thinking of uh, a, a longer term picture. But the reality is that India can't make that argument. Yet, And the reason the Reserve Bank can't make that argument is because the inflation targeting framework was introduced as in 2015. That's pretty recent. So the RBI really doesn't have a much of a, a track record yet to demonstrate its ability to contain inflation. And they need to build that up. And building it up takes time. And it's not helped by the politics, because uh, Modi has pushed out one um, governor of the RBI, brought in another governor of the RBI, and all of these things raise questions about the ability of the RBI to act independently. And and this is really the Achilles heel. So in response to the decelerating growth and, and uh, inflation picture, the Indian government and the RBI have taken some significant measures to try and revive sentiment and to give the economy a much-needed push. So this has included around 135 basis points of cuts by the RBI throughout uh, 2019, and changes to the policy that uh, potentially could improve the transmission of these rate cuts. They've also intervened via Operation Twist, uh, which is a combination of measures taken to try and reduce the long-term rates, uh, government rates, while shoring up short-term rates in an effort to try and boost consumption spending. I think the RBI is trying to achieve two objectives that are contradictory. On the one hand, they're trying to maintain interest rates at a particularly uh, high level uh, for inflation reasons. On the other hand, they're trying to stimulate credit by reducing long-term rates. This is, in a way, it's almost a schizophrenic type of monetary policy. But the reason they are in this predicament and having to do two things that appear uh, to be opposed each other is that credit creation in India is anemic. But the reason it is anemic is structural. It has nothing to do with monetary policy. It has a lot to everything to do with the fact that the banking system is in largely in state-owned entities, and these entities have weak balance sheets, and non-performing loans are high, and there's an important program of recapitalization of Indian banking that needs to take place. And until it does take place, the, the realizing the full potential of the Indian economy is going to be a challenge because financial intermediation is necessary for, for growth and for efficiency. 
having said all of this, I think, you know, I don't want to sound too too negative about India. I think there are a lot of reasons to believe that the long-term story is, is an attractive one. There aren't many countries in the world that can boast, you know, increasing labor force. They're not harnessing it to its full extent, but it is there and it has significant potential. That's that's one element that, that I think is is important. Another important thing to say about India is, is the strength of its institutions. I mean, this is a country that has managed to to remain in, in democracy since since the 40s, with you know nearly a billion people now. So this is not an easy feat. Um, so this is a country with serious institutions, and 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 the equity market is is pretty broad. Um, it is pretty diversified. It has a large number of listed stocks. Uh, it may not have a huge market cap, but, you know, India is smaller than Alibaba and Tencent in an emerging market context. But but there are thousands of listed companies, and that's more than you have in the New York Stock Exchange. There's a lot to be found and, and to be looked at. Historically, for, for various reasons, Indian companies were starved for capital and have learned to be quite quite efficient in their deployment of capital. And, and you see that uh, in also in earnings growth. Um, earnings growth has been actually pretty attractive compared to other emerging markets. So, so, so the point I want to make is that, you know, while we are seeing a, a lot of, um, at this point in time, a lot of reasons to be a bit cautious about India, um, I don't think that the long-term story is something that, that needs to be uh, revisited, uh, at least at this time. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions. Clients of Parkview may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.